you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ here. Bucky is in a, a little traffic here. We've had some awful fires here in Southern California, and it's uh, had a big impact on the traffic situation. So we're hoping Bucky's going to join us a little bit later on uh, in this episode. But I am fortunate to have our good buddy Lance Zerline with me today. Lance, how you doing, bud? What's up, DJ? How are we doing? I'm doing great, man. First of all, you look fantastic. It's been a while since I've seen you. You uh, you look like you're in fighting shape right now. Yeah. You're in your you're in your cave. You're in your tape cave where you've That's already right. been cranking on um, some of these draft prospects. Man, you're looking good. New new grade uh, grading scale. Our new grading scale right behind that. me, which is which is streamlined to the Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, school of grading. So yeah, I'm already getting used to uh, putting some new grades on players. I'm about 12 players in and only 488 more to go. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have a chance to talk about some of those players here uh, in a little bit today. But I, I want to start off, we'll get to the Monday night game, we'll get your thoughts on that. I have a, kind of a stinker, really. I don't think anybody really cared about the, the Steelers and the Dolphins, although right. it does have some draft impact with the Dolphins finding a way to lose. Uh, but I want to touch on um, uh, some news here that's just come out. And I don't know, by the time you listen to this, the trade deadline will probably have already come and gone and we'll know the answer to this question. But it is interesting to me. The reports are out there that the uh, uh, the New York Jets are considering uh, offers for Le'Veon Bell after just having signed him. Obviously, that was the previous general manager, Mike McKagan. Uh, Joe Douglas is there now this team is a mess Lance uh, but I'd love to get your take on um, thoughts there that Le'Veon Bell could be gone almost as soon as he arrived well I mean you know what I'm, I'm of the school that if you you want to get it right and so or you at least want to be accurate with it and if and if you feel like okay we made a mistake or the previous regime it doesn't matter the Jets made a mistake so it's time yeah. to move on and and we're not going to get good value out of him based on what we're paying him and you know, and what's coming back in return, then I, then I give them a lot of credit. I mean, there's a lot of general managers who, in different sports, who will say, we made a mistake and try to flip that mistake. The longer it takes for you to do that, the more difficult it gets. So I, I'm, a, I'm a proponent for it. I mean, if you look at Le'Veon Bell, he has not been that successful in terms of the output this year and what they're paying him. And I know that was a big concern. Uh, Le'Veon Bell had missed an entire year of football and you were hoping that, you know, you were going to get the same version, the best version coming out of Pittsburgh, and that hasn't been the case. And, and you know, and frankly, he hasn't had a tremendous help, uh, uh, amount of help around him. And so the Jets right now, it's kind of like a, a Major League Baseball team with a great closer. What do you need a closer for if you're not going to win? So I think right now you, you unload that salary, you get uh, what you can get back in return, and you move forward. Well, first of all, two things. Number one, as a Padre fan, uh, I feel that because we have the best closer in the National League, and, and we're wow, a 90 team. So uh, yeah. doesn't make a, doesn't make a lot of sense there. Uh, number one. Number two is I know uh, you're a movie buff, and mm -hmm. when I think about Le'Veon Bell, I think of um, the scene from uh, Goodwill Hunting when Robin Williams just keeps telling him it's not your fault. It is not your fault. <laughs> I don't know what you're supposed to, to do if you're Bell. I mean, they're so bad. They're so bad up front. It's not going to yeah. work. And that, to me, um, is the number one thing with this team, which leads me into another point here. Um, I, I tweeted out, I think, look, 
priority number one for this New York Jets team. You better address the offensive line. Collect as many assets as you can. They just traded Leonard Williams. Uh, they end up getting two picks there, one in each of the next two drafts, which I believe will end up being a three and a four if Leonard Williams ends up re-signing with the Giants, which I imagine would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just trying to collect as many assets. They need five new starters up front, in my opinion. Five new starters. So collecting as many picks as you can, which gets me to this next thought here. We'll see what happens with the Jets the remainder of the year. I don't see them winning many games. But what I mentioned, addressing the offensive line to try and save Sam Darnold because that's getting scary right now. As, as much as he's getting hit and as poorly as he's playing, right. um, that can start to spiral. So you've got to address that, which leads to my next point. We'll get to the college kids. Chase Young is the best player in college football. I think we'd be on the same page there. I don't know anybody would really uh, disagree with that take. But if you're the New York Jets, this would be a fascinating situation. Say they're picking two or three. Uh, quarterbacks go ahead of them, and they're sitting there on the clock with Chase Young. Priority number one is fixing the offensive line, but this is a you know this is a generational type pass rusher, which you know mm-hmm. a lot of times you say you never would trade off that. But man, you might have a you might be in a situation where you could get a king's ransom for that pick for people trying to come up to get Chase Young. So then you're going to have a decision if you're Joe Douglas: Do I sit here and take Chase Young? We need pass rushers; it fills a huge need for us. Or is this a is this a big time chip that you end up trading down, collecting a tremendous uh, haul of picks, and use those picks to try and save your quarterback and improve that offensive line? That would be a tough decision. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think there's an answer. You don't have an answer until the situation arises, and you can judge every situation by what it you know what it truly represents. So it's easy to sit here and say. I would never do that with a generational talent at pass rusher. I know that's, you know, one of the thoughts that's typically going to be out there is you don't, that's something that you covet in today's NFL. You don't trade off that pick, but that's tough. However, however, I mean, you have so many holes right now if you're the Jets, and this looks like it's going to be a pretty decent, especially tackle draft. It looks like there's going to be some decent talent in there. It depends Mm -hmm. on if a couple guys end up coming out early, but if they do, and, you know, in most years, pretty good players come out early. Um... It's interesting because if you, depending on what's offered to you, and I think that the Laramie Tunsil trade and the and the Jalen Ramsey trades have maybe set a new standard for what the trade value is going to be for non-quarterbacks. And if that ends up being the case, then I think you you have to at least consider it based on what's on the board and how you have the board rated because the Jets are not one pass rusher away. They're a lot further away. And that offensive side, as you said, you know, uh, the Colts were lucky to, to, to take care of Andrew Luck very, very quickly with Quentin Nelson. Uh, Braden Smith was, you know, was a hit. And then Mark Lewinsky, they kind of, they kind of fell into Mark Lewinsky. It was a great job by their pro personnel department Mm -hmm. to find a talented player that would kind of fall into the cracks. And, uh, but, but, you know, they also had Ryan Kelly and Anthony Costanzo to work with already. That's what I the was Jets getting ready to say. That. They had they yeah. had some foundational pieces. They have yeah. nothing. They don't have anything. That's why I think this job's no. going to be much tougher than what Ballard had to do. Oh, and I think it's I think I think Joe is in for a much tougher job because he is going to first and foremost, he's got to help Sam Darnold because I think Sam Darnold is mentally tough and can handle and weather the tough times. Mm-hmm. But you've got to give him some help. I mean, you know, the seeing ghost thing, that doesn't bother me. That's just him being honest with himself. And that was caught on tape. And you can argue. Yeah whether or not that should have ever you know been 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 out as a, as a live point. mic yeah. but but i do feel like i think sam darnold can handle this situation I, the big concern i have is look you got to give him at least three players who can step in and help and i'll tell you what it's been interesting here in, in houston watching max sharping who was a second round pick uh 
play left guard yep. f- from tackle, Northern Illinois, as you know. Titus Howard, who was the first-round pick, moved over to the right tackle spot after Laramie Tunsil got here. I'm telling you, when all those guys, all three of those guys, Tunsil, Sharping, and Howard, have been in the lineup together with Zach Fulton and Nick Martin, they've actually been pretty good with pass pro. They actually have... F- fixed it, I, I believe, when they're healthy. And that's with two, two rookies. So I do think that the Jets can get a lot better. But I, but I also think it's probably going to take a veteran, at least one, maybe two veteran free agents. You're going to have to spend some money. And then how much draft capital are you willing to spend? And to your point, if you have additional draft capital, it does make it easier if that is your number one priority is helping Sam Darnold. Well, help me with this. I'm talking about the Houston team, you know very well. Laramie Tunsil obviously traded a couple first-round picks, so that's a big investment. Right. You got a first-round pick in Titus Howard, second-rounder, right, in Sharping. Nick Martin was what, a second or third-round pick? I think he was uh, a second, I believe. Yeah, second, I right? Yeah, second, so I mean, these yeah. are first and second-round picks. These are major investments. So mm-hmm. uh, that, to me, where it, it makes the case, it, man, if you're the Jets trying to collect as many of those assets as you can, um, to go ahead and get that addressed, it seems like would be the smart thing to do. Yeah, but I mean, all of a sudden, if he's all, if you got Khalil Mack and you've traded Khalil Mack for a couple of guys you don't hit on, you know, that's <laughs> no. where DJ. I feel I feel very yeah. strongly that I recognize that there seems to be a new NFL, uh, at least in some circles, with the way the Rams and the, and the Texans are dealing with this, where they're saying, look, we're going to trade the potential of picks for the now in players. Mm-hmm. And I get that, but eventually you have to grow your own to have a, a sustainable product. And, you know, it's when, cost when I th- control. It, it is it is cost control. It really is. But the other problem is if you miss on those draft picks, if you're not good with your evaluations, that's a big problem. So if you trade Chase Young for potential players and then you miss on the evaluations, you're going to look really bad. If you trust your evaluations and your process, then, you know, then then you stack picks and you don't worry about it. No, I absolutely. I want to get more on that topic here in just a second. Real quick, just one thought. Any you have one thought on that uh, Pittsburgh Miami game? To me, I thought the big takeaway was Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka Fitzpatrick's 22 years old. So while the Steelers may still end up with a potentially a top 10 pick, I don't know that they would get a better player than the one they got in Minka Fitzpatrick. Two picks against his former team last night. I think he's got a chance to be a great player in this league. Didn't you feel like he was a great stealer too? I mean, he did some of the things that look. He yeah. was a he was a slot corner. Smart, and I get tough. that. But he's smart. He's tough. Um, he 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 just he's he's got tremendous football character, and he really has that good football IQ where he he is that um, he is that Swiss Army knife. And while I'm not saying he's Troy Polamalu by any stretch of the imagination, I think he gives you some of that same versatility and flexibility. And he seemed like a great fit with the Steelers. It was just we knew that it probably wasn't going to get you know he wouldn't get to the Steelers in that particular draft. But that's just a, such a great pickup for the Steelers to get a Steeler type of player um, from another team for what I thought was a, a reasonable price tag. I thought they did a great job. And no doubt. Uh, I, I don't have anything to say about the Dolphins other than court- good luck in the draft. That's all I got for the Dolphins. Yeah, good luck in the draft. I know draft. it is. I know. Cincinnati, Cincinnati was very invested in that game watching that <laughs> game until the, uh, the Dolphins blew that 14-point lead. I want to get to the quarterbacks here in just a second on the last couple drafts. But before we do that, I want to take a quick detour and go to a different sport here in your town there in Houston. Um, look, the Houston Astros have had it. Look, it was a big mess that they uh, were in the last couple weeks with a really 
dumb, dumb comment, a dumb situation by their assistant general manager. Right. He's since been let go and fired. It was a stain on their organization, a bad, bad look. Uh, but I, I want to put that to the side here for a second and just look at this organization. It's got a chance to win their second World Series in three years. And I'm always fascinated looking outside the football world. And uh, I went back and, and read the, the book Astro Ball over the last week because I was Great just book. fascinated to learn about how they acquired players and what they're able to do. So I want to get your insight on that, mm -hmm. uh, particularly – uh, this one aspect of the book, they spent a lot of time talking about Carlos Beltran and when they brought him at age 40, I think it was. I mean, this is the tail end of his career before that 2017 season. And it talked about how he really kind of brought that clubhouse together with the Latin American or the Latin players, the American players kind of just really was a, uh, somebody kind of a galvanizing force and talked about how he works so well with their younger players. Uh, he, he was great at identifying pitchers tells and it talk, tells a story about you Darvish and how he found uh, what he was doing moving the ball around in his glove he knew what pitch was coming they teed off on him in the World yeah. Series but it got me thinking you know we spent so much time talking about the draft and getting those players right but man on championship teams you've got to have some veterans that are invested in your younger players. I think that's super important. And one of the things, you know, the Astros had some good young players and they had a lively young uh, locker room and they had club Astros where every time they would win, George Springer would turn on music. They had well, they said machine. Beltron kind of got that going. Well, yeah. you know, and, and that's the interesting part is is they they actually had so they actually had Club Astros before Beltron got there. And I think Beltron got there. Brian. So they had two veterans. Brian McCann was the dad. Right. He was the dad who came in and like, hey, don't throw water on my face after a home run. Beltron was the guy who was the cool <laughs> uncle. And Beltron was the cool uncle that that everyone liked to hang with. And uh, but I think the other thing is that you make a really good point. The Astros knew what they were getting with Carlos Beltron was. He was, they were getting a guy that could bring the locker room together but could also teach the young players. He could br bring them into the next transition of growth, which was becoming real professionals and winning professionals. It's one thing to have a lively group of talented players, but learning how to win and learning how to be pros is something that Carlos Beltran really helped with. And I think, I think there is absolutely something to be said for that because those are the guys that aren't typically not going to produce at a great level uh, production-wise. But in every sport, those are chemistry guys who you hope that you interject that can really, I think, unlock the potential of a team. And for the Astros, they, I think they hit it out of the ballpark. I mean, it was a combination of grow your own talent, with smart veteran additions and then of course they were smart you know before trade deadline with with Justin Verlander and then it became Garrett Cole in the offseason so yeah. I, th I think the way the Astros have built um, is fascinating it's it's a, there's a wide variety of, of topics that you can get into in terms of how they're doing it really especially versus how the other teams in Houston are doing it. It got me thinking about two recent Super Bowl winners, and I thought about, or sorry, Super Bowl participants, I should say. The Rams didn't end up winning that game. Uh, but you look at Andrew Whitworth with a team with a bunch of young oh, talent. Yeah. You get a veteran presence in there, the impact that he had on that Rams team. And then I think about the Philadelphia Eagles um, and a guy like Chris Long. You know, he, he was a, a key member there Huge. of the Patriots. While the stats don't necessarily blow you away, but that veteran presence, I think, served the Eagles quite well in their Super Bowl run as well. Look, the Patriots have got their, they've got their veteran. Uh, he's been taking snaps. He's doing pretty good. Uh, so I don't I don't think they necessarily <laughs> needed that component. Uh, but I do think that translates from baseball to football. And uh, we'll have a chance down the road to talk a little bit more uh, about that, uh, you know, the, how you build a baseball team versus how you build a football team because I'm, I'm fascinated by it. But, Lance, I, I want to get to these quarterbacks here, the last couple draft classes, just your takeaways. Let's go back to 2017, uh, a draft where – 
uh, at, you know, leading up to that draft, we're thinking, okay, just wait for 2018. That's the better group. Obviously, 2017 with Deshaun Watson um, and Mahomes has been outstanding. But a couple other quarterbacks in that class, Deshaun Kaiser, long since forgotten about, and Mitchell Trubisky, who uh, in Chicago right now, it's, uh, it's not a great marriage right now between him and Matt Nagy. No, it's been disappointing because he took a step forward and now it's been a step back this year. And that's been um, really disappointing if you're a Chicago Bears fan. But, you know, when you look at 17, I think if you had come after last year, you could have made the argument, okay, Pat Mahomes is clearly going to be the best quarterback out of this class. But maybe Mitchell Trubisky now is moving forward and and has a chance to surpass Deshaun Watson. And that doesn't look like it's going to happen. And I I still think the book is is open on on Trubisky. The book's not in on Trubisky yet. But but we know that it's Mahomes and we know it's Deshaun Watson. And, and I don't think there's any way you could argue that it's, it's going to be anyone else in the one and two spots um, when it's all said and done. You know what I, what I find interesting, DJ, something I did when I looked at 17 and 18, and I, I don't want to get too far ahead, but when you look at Pat Mahomes, yeah. I wouldn't call him a runner with 273 yards rushing last year, but he is he can scramble. He is an effective scrambler. And Mitchell Trubisky is an effective scrambler, too. Deshaun Watson is a tremendous playmaker. But Mahomes has that rare ability. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic pocket uh, quarterback who can really make a lot of plays and, and special throws on yeah. the move. Watson is a play extender who can make things happen, who's getting better from the pocket. But we know he's an exceptionally dangerous with his feet. M- Mitchell Trubisky is not as dangerous run I mean he's not a running threat per se although he can scramble and help his team but he hasn't hit the the threshold of making plays or becoming a competent pocket passer and it's got to be one or the other if you're not going to be able to run um, if you can run with the football boy the transition as we're seeing now the transition and this leads into the 2018 class with Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen these two guys because they can get out of the pocket and do damage even when they are off as throwers they are still having big impacts yeah. on the game because they're so good running the ball. Lamar's the best runner I've ever seen. I mean, he's a running back caliber runner. And Josh Allen is like watching, you know, I know Bucky used it before. Maybe you did too. But the, the Cam Newton as a runner, I Cam. mean, it's it's yeah. viable, um, at least earlier Cam Newton in his career. But my gosh, if you're not throwing the ball well and you can get out on the perimeter and do damage like this, it really makes your transition into the league way easier. And you see how these guys are acclimating into the league faster. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily at some point you got to learn to win uh, from the pocket, at least to an extent. And then at some point you also are going to be worried about, you know, injury if you're always running. But for Mm -hmm. right now, I mean, it's it's really it's I mean, you got to look at Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen as the guys that that are the most consistent out of this group. And it's hard to say that. But Baker Mayfield has backslid this year. Yeah, you know, it's something we've talked about on this podcast before, too, is that as a young player, um, being able to use your legs is going to make that transition easier. And then as you get more experience and knowledge, you can start beating people with your brain. You can start being able to figure out where everything's coming from because you've seen it. But it's hard to be able to do that until you acquire that experience. And Russell Wilson is really the textbook case. I mean, he's somebody that right. uh, moved around, ran around a lot more early on, and then really, really developed and grew. And now he knows what everybody's doing uh, defensively. He's seen it. He can dissect you from the pocket. But in that transitional period, uh, being able to use your legs, get yourself out of some trouble until you be able to figure out what's going on upstairs I think it's a huge huge advantage and uh, I think we've seen that pretty much all the guys it's it's hard to find just a pure pure pocket passer 
that's having success uh, that's entered into the league. You've got you know, to be able to move around a little bit. No question. I, I tell you what's interesting to me, though, is because I, I look at football as kind of like baseball, where baseball has had some fundamental changes in how they approach things. Um, there's a belief now, and, you know, obviously the home run and, and playing station to station ball, um, changing launch angles uh, as hitters. And, you know, it, it's okay yeah. to strike out because if you hit home runs, uh, the strikeout doesn't really matter. It's an out, but the home run, you know, creates runs I mean they fundamentally analytics has helped change I think the thought process in baseball and how they handle it but I, when I was writing up Lamar Jackson all I could think of and I think I have a mention of this in his um, in his scouting profile is he is a lot like that home run hitter where you can live with strikeouts from Lamar Jackson strikeouts meaning high in completion percentage you don't want to throw you know you don't want a bunch yeah. of turnovers or interceptions but you can live with the lower completion percentage because he hits so many home runs he's going to hit home runs yep. and I would rather have that home run hitter in today's NFL with a little lower completion percentage than a guy who's throwing 68 70 percent like a Derek Carr it's about point production it really is it's it's points per play and that's what it's about it's about chunk plays and and you have to understand that when you grab a guy, how does he create chunk plays for himself? And if it's just from the pocket, then all of a sudden he becomes, and especially if he's not as exceptionally mobile, he becomes beholden to the offensive line, the talent of the wide receivers to create open throws instead of tight window throws. And, you know, if you got a guy who can make plays on his own, like Deshaun Watson, like uh, Josh Allen, like, but I think Deshaun and, and Lamar Jackson are doing it at a little different level. I mean, then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter after three bad quarters, they can still elevate a team to a win. Yeah, the thing with Lamar is it's, it's, I think this was a little bit of the trouble with him coming out is that some of his misses are just bad, bad misses where you'll see a ball skip five yards in front. You'll see a ball <laughs> sail true. 10 yards over somebody's head. But it's still just one incompletion. So it's one right. incompletion, and then all of a sudden you've got magical plays where he throws beautiful balls down the field, and, and it's plenty good enough. So I think the... Uh, you know, trying to train your eyes, it's almost like be a batter who just has, you know, swings at one that's three feet out of the strike zone. You just go, ah, oh, this guy has, he has no, you know, doesn't see the ball, has no discipline at the plate. Well, that's just one strikeout. It's no different. The guy just swung right through one that was right down the middle. Right. So you've got to kind of put that in context. And then you have the, the spectacular plays that help offset it. I've always said the same thing with wide receivers. We talk about this all the time when we run up to the draft. Oh, the guy's got some drops. Well, T.O. had some drops too, a bunch of drops, but then he'd offset that with unbelievable, spectacular plays and run after catch and, and hitting home runs. So you live with some of those drops because he gives you, you know, those special plays. you got to be able to offset that. Now, you get in trouble when you're a guy who can't. You know, when you get a guy who's missing some throws and then has no big plays to offset it, then you got a problem. Yeah, you need to find the look. If you're going to have somebody who has who's deficient in an area, then they need to be a real plus in another area. Um, Andre Johnson here in Houston. Every year we had to live watching and covering the Texans. You had to live with a lot of Andre Johnson drops. That was just going to be what it was. But he made so many plays that you know it, it really it made up for it. Now turnovers are a different. You know turnovers can kill a team's chances to win. Uh, but every once in a while you get a guy yeah. like Brett Favre who. You know, he's the rare exception of a guy who really had high turnover numbers and really debilitating turnovers that could really, you know, hurt your chances of winning sometime. But he also could individually win games. I don't know about you. And you've been doing this for a long time and you you follow other sports as well. And I know Bucky does, too. But I really like stepping outside of the NFL or college football yeah. to find um, I, not not player comps, but 
if I already have something kind of figured out in another sport or, or they have it figured out in their sport and you can take that knowledge into what you do, I just think it helps to look and to kind of cleanse your filter a little bit. Absolutely. I actually was just in Chicago and had dinner with Ricky Olchek, who's uh, now the assistant general manager of the new Seattle team up in the NHL. And we had a, you know, we, we sat there for an hour over dinner and just talk and comparing, uh, you know, the different sports and w- what a fun challenge he has. This guy's going to get a chance to be a part of building an expansion franchise where they start yeah. from scratch and really uh, build up a roster. So I'm always trying to learn and pull from, from those other sports. Uh, real quick, Lance, this uh, current group of rookie quarterbacks, what have you seen? What do you like? Well, I've been, um, you know, I think right now when you look at how the rookies are are playing, let me see. I'm, I got to get my mind. I'm been, it's all Gardner Minshew. Yeah, it's all it's, Gardner Minshew. That's right. It's Daniel really Jones. It really is. That's yeah. right. It's, Dan, oh, sorry, it's a Kyler, Kyler Daniel. Yeah, I've been going through all my quarterbacks. All right. So Kyler really. Haskins. Well, we're we're off on Haskins right now. We're gonna wait. We're gonna wait a little while on Haskins <laughs> and see how that goes. I felt like this is a red shirt year. It is a red shirt year. We felt like Daniel Jones might be the most pro-ready. Look who is one of the most pro-ready. But then Kyler Murray, and I didn't want to let Kyler Murray slip into our other discussion, but he belongs there too. An ability to win with his arm and his legs. Even though they don't have a great offensive line, what do you know? He's able to to really help that offense. And I've been, I tell you what, I've been very pleasantly surprised. They had a really tough week one matchup um, against Detroit where I thought Detroit should have had them beat relatively handily, and all of a sudden they came back and they got back in that mm-hmm. game. But ever since then, they've had some ups and downs, but there's been a little bit more level of consistency until this week. And I think Kyler Murray, um, the stage is just not too big for him. The NFL feels very comfortable for him. Daniel Jones, I still feel the same way, DJ. Most pro-ready, a guy who, if everything's mm-hmm. right around him, I think can be a pretty good quarterback in the NFL. I just question how high uh, the ceiling is for him. I wonder if there's a little bit of a glass ceiling. We'll, we'll see how that goes. With Haskins... Total redshirt year has to learn the game more, and he's not in a very good situation, frankly. I mean, I would wait to surround him with with better skill position players, frankly, before I threw him out to the Wolves personally. That's what I would do. And Gardner Minshew. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Oh my gosh, Gardner, Gardner Minshew has been the best of the bunch. So I remember talking to Mike Leach about this, and you know, Mike Leach. It was a longer conversation. And Mike Leach made yeah, the comment. They, they, they tend to be a little longer. And it's fun talking football with Coach Leach. But he was very honest with me and said, look, he's the smartest quarterback I've had. He is one of the most talented, if not the most talented. You're going to be sorry if you don't pay closer attention to him. And I remember really liking the tape. And then this is what, ah, boy, the arm is just okay. And I started finding, oh, he's not real yeah. big. And I, and I don't remember him having a very good senior bowl, if I remember correctly, where he just kind of was ho-hum, which a lot of guys are ho-hum in that game. He didn't necessarily stand out at the, uh, at the combine. And so now all of a sudden that tape that I saw where he's smart, makes good decisions, was very good with placement and ball accuracy, I know for a fact, just like you do, I'm talking about some really important intangibles for a quarterback, or tangibles and intangibles for a quarterback. Yeah. And Gardner had that. And yet here I am, oh, his size, oh, his arm isn't great. And when I watch him on the quarterback, I, um, on the field now, DJ, I don't know about you, but I feel pretty confident that Gardner Minshew is going to be a good NFL quarterback. Like, I, I don't have a lot of doubt about that. Yeah, starter. 
Well, I mean, look at the numbers right now. 13 touchdowns, two picks. I mean, he's playing great football. He's playing on time, making plays off schedule. I do think when you look at, at that offensive line now with Cam Robinson, when he's healthy, is a right. really good young left tackle. Uh, Jawan Taylor's done a nice job there at right tackle. They have Norwell at guard. They've invested. They've got uh, Linder's a good player. They've got some good guys up front, uh, and that's really helped with his development, which, again, it's a chicken or egg thing, right? Do you get the quarterback and then try and build around him, or do you build up all the infrastructure and then drop the quarterback in at the last second? It's it's two different ways to go about it. I mean, I, I think obviously if you if you love a quarterback, you just go ahead and take him. Uh, yeah. But there is, man, what a benefit for a guy that gets plopped into a place where they've made that investment already. Well, I also think that he's mentally tough enough to handle it too. And I think Gardner Minshew has helped make D.J. Chark a better, uh, better wide receiver. G- D.J. Chark had a lot of talent. Imagine great. that. A wide receiver from yeah. LSU with talent who develops in the pros. <laughs> but but like we've seen that before. But D.J. Chark, to me, had all of the, the the type of I look at him and Darius Slayton as another rookie over there with Daniel Jones with the Giants were two guys who had very similar um, as a matter of fact I had Shark as my comp for, for Darius Slayton and now they've got some quarterbacks that throw with anticipation that have understanding of you know of the passing concepts and they're able to take those those gifts those physical gifts and turn them into translatable NFL production and and I think DJ Chark has really helped out Minshew but on the flip side, Minshew is playing like a veteran quarterback in terms of how he takes care of the football, and I think it's really helped D.J. Chart. All right, let's get to uh, some college kids here real quick. I know you went to LSU, Texas, correct? Mm-hmm. I did. You're going to bring up Give Joe Burrow, Give me your thoughts you? on just watching. That. What? Well, we're going to go Joe Burrow, okay. no doubt, but I just want to generalize it first. Just seeing that game, uh, most impressive player on the field in that game was who? Oh, man. Um well, I mean, I think it was Joe Burrow, to be honest with you, because I had such low nope. expectations for Joe Burrow um, at, based on what I saw this summer. It has to be Joe Burrow. But the wide receiver, Chase, um, he and, and, and yeah. even Stingley at that time, number 24 Jefferson, the corner. Yeah. Boy, oh, yeah, oh, he yeah. was fantastic as well. They had two wide receivers, and, and it wasn't Delpit so much. And I was most excited about Delpit. But, man, Stingley started really showing up. The two wide receivers, as you mentioned, looked really, really good. Um, and number 22, the, uh, the, their running back, his, I remember getting on the yeah. field and watching um, – all these players, you know, in, in pre in pregame, you know how it is. You want to go down and see what they look like, just get a feel for them when you're yeah. on the field. And he really felt different than the other running backs that they had. He had a feel to him, 22. And uh, I've just been really impressed with how he's progressed as well. Um, they have tremendous talent at wide receiver. And then the cornerback is a young kid, so he's a freshman. We won't talk about him for a while as yeah, a draftable Stingley, prospect. Yeah. But Stingley is really, really talented. Um, and Delpit's talented as well. But the guy that stood out to me was Joe Burrow. And I watched Joe Burrow this summer. I remember on my notes that I wrote, my big concern with him, and this is, you know, he's a smart, smart player. I noticed that he does a good job of looking off safeties. There was a lot of intangible stuff that I put in the pros. And the negative stuff, NFL arm. And there's that, you know, and all of a sudden I'm starting to worry about the arm talent. And I'm worrying about, and now I go back and I look at Minshew and I look at Burrow. And I'm watching him this year with a different offense and a different coach. Um, and I start to realize, is this going to be the same situation? Now, I'm not, I want to wait until I see all the game tape on Joe Burrow. But I do know that I've seen enough of him in person uh, and on television and a little bit on tape that. Um, he's a different guy this year and what I thought of him over you know at the end of of last year when I watched him on tape and I thought maybe a late round pick maybe 
that's dead. I mean, he's a he's a completely different yeah. guy. I knew about the toughness. I knew uh, I didn't expect him to throw this accurately. I think he's thrown the ball really accurate, accurately and with better placement. And this, I think this also speaks. And DJ, you're better to I think you're better to talk about this than I am. You, it really can be difficult to project a player from one scheme to another scheme. Tom Brady's a great example with Michigan and then going to what they became in New England. Joe Burrow has the same thing where he went for that pro style, you know, attack with with LSU. Now all of a sudden they spread it out and this guy's really shining in the new offense. No doubt. And I go back to what I uh, had written here before the season. I did that quarterback tiers and he was coming into this season. This was based off guys I was talking to around the league. I had him uh, as the sixth quarterback. Now he's climbed way up uh, from the from uh, from the beginning of the season. But this was the quote that I had uh, from an executive it said Burrow is interesting. He's very competitive. This is a big year for him. I think he's a lot better than people think he, he could be a fast riser. Uh, so that was kind of the vibe on him Nailed in it. August when guys were rolling through there. And he wasn't fully healthy last year. He's moving around a lot better. His arm, in my opinion, is good enough. I don't think he has a huge arm. I was actually just talking to somebody who just went through there. And I said, give me your take on his, just his pure arm strength. He said, it's fine. It's good enough. He doesn't have a huge arm, but it's good enough. But accurate, tough, smart, can move around enough. Um, yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely moving up. Now Leadership. there's some people saying, well, has he surpassed Tua? Yeah, has he gone past Tua? And I'm like, well, p- pump the brakes on that. You know, Tua's got a long track record of playing at a very high level. So I don't necessarily think he's done that. But I do think he's leapfrogged uh, Jake Fromm this year. I think that was yeah. – uh, that might not have been the case before the season started, but I think he is going to end up going ahead of Jake Fromm. Well, I want to watch. All, you know, I don't want to. I want to watch it all, but but they're asking him to put the team on his back and all the production on his back, and he's doing it, and he's consistent at it. Fromm, mm-hmm. you know, I like a lot of things about Fromm, but I, I think Burrow may have a better arm than Fromm, to be honest with you. And yeah. and the other thing with Fromm is they don't ask him. To, you know, he's really more of a game manager it's, over there. They there's protect n- him a lot. Yeah. Nothing, yeah, they got a great offensive line. But there's nothing wrong with being a game manager in the NFL. There's nothing wrong with that drafting game managers. But game managers are typically not going to be um, high draft picks. I mean, you don't want them to be because then they start to rely on a lot of things being right around them. And that's hard to, to get if you're drafting in the top ten. You're going to have a lot of holes. All right, last question for you, then I'm going to let you go. Um, the – as you've said right now, you only only a dozen players or so in, but yeah. you've seen, you know, watching a lot of college, college football. Uh, just a general feel right now for this group coming up. Just give me a position you think is going to be pretty deep. Oh, I would say I think this is actually, as I mentioned it earlier, I think the offensive tackle spot is going to be pretty good. I think there is, yep. you know, it's going to be a little better cornerback. Have you looked at the Auburn kid yet? Uh, uh, Prince Tiga? Yeah, the tackle? yeah the left tackle. Yeah, a little bit. Not. Um, I looked at him this summer, and then I watched him in. Um, I watched him in. Oh, just this last week, I was paying a little closer attention to him. Well, I'm, I'm part of the Joe Moore Award um, selection yeah. committee, so we we asking. watched these offensive lines, and he's actually showed a lot of improvement. I think. You know, last year he really struggled. Oh, last year with Jarrett Stidham, the entire offensive line did. Uh, but this year he's been much better. Their offensive line has played much better, and uh, I think he's really helped himself this year. And that's why you can't close the book on players too early. Joe Burrow is a great example and obviously and Tiga is a, is a really good Look at example. Look Baker Mayfield as well. for crying out loud. Right. 
And Baker had played well the I year mean, before, but I think when he stacked it but again, he took it to a different level with another yeah. with a win at Ohio State against Bosa and all that talent. That was like whoa. That was a whoa moment. And then he continued to do it even into the playoffs. So um, no, I think I think cornerbacks got a chance to be a little bit better. Um, there are going to be some. We got obviously an elite pass rusher potentially in this draft, and then the tackle position, the offensive tackle. It's been a while since we said we could. You know, we expected the tackles. Okay, yeah. this is the year, DJ. And then the earliest was uh, was Williams from uh, um, Alabama, and then you had Taylor yeah. Slide, and you had Jonah. Dillard Slide, and so Jonah was the guy at what number nine with with uh, or number ten. Number, yeah, got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, this year I think we may see because I, I there's Walker Little who's Louisville heard of Stanford. Kid's really good. The Louisville kid yeah. is a ma- is a massive player with tremendous power. Yeah. Uh, there's a tackle Worf's out of Iowa, Iowa from Worfs, yeah, and we got to see if he comes out as well. But if these guys come out, it's going to be a pretty deep tackle draft. And and I news this just in: the Texans traded two firsts and a second in exchange in part for Laramie Tunsil. That's how desperate teams get for left tackles. This is going to be a good year for tackles, and I think uh, teams are going to jump up the board and look for tackles when it's all said and done. Yeah, the reason I asked you about that tackle at Auburn, I was doing chase on and Delpit, just trying to finish them up the other day. And, uh, man, I thought the uh, I thought the left tackle from Auburn really was He's got good. size. He's an athlete. Yeah, and, and I th- he's got good feet. And I think they really have worked technique-wise where he's got his confidence back. That was, a, that was an offensive line unit that lost their confidence, and they seem to have it back this year. And Derek Brown, by oh, the way, I know you didn't, ask, you didn't ask me about oh, Derek yeah, Brown. Pretty good. Can I tell you this? I wrote him up last year assuming he'd come out, and my thought was he needed to go back in. He did. He has made himself a lot of money. We hear about guys, oh, he should have come out, he should have come out. I think Derek Brown made the right decision. I think it's going to pay off for him. Yeah, Kinlaw is another one. Keep an eye on, man. Those uh, massive good, human. It's a good group of defensive tackles in this in this draft. All right, we could do this all day long, Lance, but uh, I'm gonna let you run. I appreciate your time, buddy. We're gonna do this in the future here as we get towards the draft. It's always yeah. great to catch up with you. You look fantastic, and uh, I look forward to the future here, buddy. Well, it's awesome to catch up with Lance. I love it when he can join the show. Was hoping uh, uh, Buck would be able to get in here, but uh, due to the fires, the traffic was just terrible. So uh, Buck will be back with us for the show on Thursday, where we're going to get a chance to talk about some of these top college players, as well as looking at uh, some of the more impressive groups and then some disappointing groups this year. We're looking at wide receivers, quarterbacks, pass rush, secondary. Uh, those will be some of the topics we will tackle on the next Move the Sticks podcast. There is one piece of breaking news I want to get to here before I wrap this thing up. Uh, Andy Dalton has been uh, sent to the bench there for the Cincinnati Bengals. They're going to go with Ryan Finley. Uh, My evaluation on Ryan Finley coming into the draft last year, I believe he was my 74th overall player, um, ended up being the 104th pick. So a little bit higher on him uh, than the league was. Uh, outstanding accuracy, anticipation, toughness, you know, kind of a light frame, a little skinny frame, doesn't have a huge arm. Uh, I compared him to Jared Goff. I thought he was kind of a, a little lesser version of Jared Goff. Obviously, Goff, uh, the first overall pick there uh, with the Rams. But it's interesting to me that his coach, Zach Taylor, had a chance to coach Jared Goff with the Rams. So I'm sure he saw a lot of the similarities there and Looks like they're going in a new direction with the Cincinnati Bengals. Begs the question of what's next for Andy Dalton. Uh, Some teams mentioned with him. You've seen 
you know, potentially the Chicago Bears. Uh, we'll see what happens. To me, would be interesting with a team like Denver if uh, if they decide the Joe Flacco experiment was no good. Maybe he could be a little bit of that bridge quarterback until Drew Locke uh, was ready. Uh, there'll be uh, there'll be suitors for Andy Dalton, who's played some good football during his career, but just hasn't uh, worked out for this Bengals team this year. That's just it's not very good. And when you look at all the injuries they've had along that offensive line. Not really a surprise that he has not uh, not had a great year. So Andy Dalton looks like his days are numbered there with the Cincinnati Bengals, and we'll see what happens with Ryan Finley. The Bengals very much in the mix for the first overall pick. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks to my buddy Lance Zerline for joining the show. Uh, we will catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. If you have a question, uh, drop it on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Drop a question on there. We will answer it on the next episode. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.